Scott Fickner, injury attorneys, we fight for the win. All right, good morning, everybody. This is David Vigner along with my co-host, Brad Scott. This is the Overruled Podcast brought to you by the Scott Vigner Law Firm. How are we doing today, Brad? Doing really well. We've got some exciting guests today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about them? Very exciting guests today. Also, just going to note before we get to them that the humidity is gone. I am now wearing a pullover, and we're excited about this beautiful day in New Orleans and the lack of humidity, which has left our midst. We've, we've actually touched the 50s in the morning. It's been quite nice. <laughs> We have two great guests today, two good friends of mine, Phil and Renee Petascalzo. Phil and Renee are the owners and founders of Orleans Shoe Company. They've become friends of mine over the years, and I'm really excited to talk to them and and get a sense of how they started their business, how they operate their business, some of the challenges that they have being in the retail um, shoe business, and, and learn a little bit more about their journey, lessons they've learned, things they've done well, challenges they still face today. Two great people, an incredibly great company, um, just a local small business here um, owned by a great family. And so once again, welcome to the Overall Podcast, Phil and Renee. Thanks for having us. All right. So I was hoping that one or both of y'all could just tell our listeners a little bit about your background and y'all experience with business before you came, before Orleans Shoe Company became a thing. Uh, well, there's not much of a before the shoe world. Um, <laughs> Phil's dad was... Uh, employed by his uncle in a shoe store, Young. And in 1971, the year Phil was born, his dad started his own shoe store. And in 1986, I started working there in high school, which is how we got, how we met and, or how we got to know each other. We went to the same school. So, yeah. shoe, so shoe shoes have been forever. It was a shoe romance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I used to like going to work at one time. <laughs> after school, I'd, Renee would tutor me after school sometimes. It was Learned a lot, you know. <laughs> I worked with his grandma and she didn't know we were dating. So she would tell me to go help him with his schoolwork in the back office. So <laughs> <laughs> was that a setup or did he really need the help? No, I, I, well, I probably did need the help. But he needed the help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't very good in school, I guess you'd say. He's a doer. He's a, he's an action person, not like a book person. Okay, so keep, I'm sorry, we derailed there for a second, Renee. <laughs> keep us going. How do we get the Orleans shoe? We worked for his dad. He worked for his dad pretty much consistently from high school until we um, got started in our own business. And I more or less did the same, just in and out of that with school and everything and kids. But yeah, um, my dad's the yeah, like old school, you know, he's work, work, work. And so <clears throat> when uh, after school, I really had to work every day after school. And uh, I worked, uh, shoot, I think I was 11 or 12 when I was started working in my dad's store. But um when we got um, married, it was just, you know, we were, I was working six days a week over there and my, uh, that's the way my dad is brought up is to, you know, work. And it's just so much different now, you you know, and you don't see uh, that kind of work ethic anymore, you know? I don't know if I call it an ethic. I think people are better at a life work balance now. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's kind of unbalanced, I guess you'd say. It's safe, so it's safe to say work from home and work-life balance and the early days yeah. were not the norm back when your dad was coming. Yeah. <laughs> so um, at, that kind of mentality was taking its toll on Phil's health and uh, he had some pretty severe uh, health problems and we kind of attributed that back a lot to stress and there came a day where he just said, I can't walk back in the store. 2002, I think. One. Right? 2001. 2001. Yeah. Okay. The year he turned 30, 30 is one of those years that, you know, people make changes. Yeah. And um, we had started having a few customers who were coming in who had um, been really improving their foot health 
with arch supports. We had started hearing about that. And so he said, you know, I really would rather do something that has a little more meaning, that's a little more helpful to people. And I want to look into this. And so we started looking into that. We joined a franchise in 2001. Um, well, it wasn't a franchise at the time. You guys would really appreciate the, the legal. Uh, that was pretty confusing. <laughs> the, uh, I don't even know what you call that tornado that we went through in the restructuring of the company we joined. And um, we stayed with them for 20, no, not 20, about 18 years. Yeah. Um, we yeah, were going about in different five years, Four or five years ago, right? I'd say. Yeah, officially, completely uh, during COVID at some point ended yeah. that relationship. But, you know, but, basically what we're doing is selling, you know, we just were focusing on comfort, you know, and custom fitted arc supports which was a good thing because no one else was doing it at the time. So it really, you know, we differentiated ourselves to from everyone else. But I tell you, when we first started our own business, uh, which was in 2001, I think we had maybe when we first started 50 pairs of shoes. I mean, really, it was you could have fit the shoes in your in your back of your trunk. You know, that's how many shoes we had in stock. It was pretty difficult because uh, we didn't have any money. <laughs> so it was, we had uh, no money. Tell them how we started it on the, uh, how we started yeah. Got the Cash. Uh, back in the early 2000s, credit was really easy to come by. And um, credit card cash advances were a new thing. We had worked our, my credit, my college, you know, my college first credit card. We had gotten the credit limit up to 35000 which is what we offered to buy this existing business. And we wrote a credit card cash advance check to write the business to, to buy okay, the business. Put the, put the business on the credit card. Don't the ever do that. <laughs> wow. Well, for starters, it made me think of, you know, my favorite uh, book is Shoe Dog. And um, you'd be in good company about having shoes in the back of your trunk because that's how Phil Knight started Nike. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and so I think what I'm hearing is you use that money to buy this um, business back in 2001 or 02, which was focused on selling arch supports. Is that right? Yeah, right. yeah. And that that went on then for what eighteen years, Phil Renee. Yes. Well, we got better, and um, the company the company was a mess, and and got restructured a few times, went through receivership. It was a mess, and then became a franchise. From the beginning, the franchise wasn't sure what they were trying to do, and we weren't sure what we were trying to do. And as we both developed, we sort of went in different directions. So, um, I guess it was around was it fifteen ish. No, it was probably earlier than that. We said we want it. We want to focus on shoes and we want to do it ourselves and we want to do it local. So uh, that's when Orleans Shoes became our focus. And we started the Mid-City Store, which originally we were looking at a location on Orleans Avenue. So we were like, oh, that would work perfect for the name. Then we ended up on Carrollton, but it was fine. <laughs> it seems like people can well, get it. It's a better location. Local, so. <laughs> it is a good um, location. It's yeah, it, all it's the development that's happened on Carrollton now. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Not... Yeah, it it was. It ended up being. We thought we were opening a warehouse. Um, we had also started doing business as an Amazon affiliate, and uh, so we thought we needed a warehouse space to get more inventory. And so we thought we were opening this really random little side street, you know, store that would be mostly about fulfilling online. Yeah, because we, and... we we used to be huge Amazon seller. I mean, like we we still do sell on Amazon, but. You know, we were there 10 years ago when we just started and uh, I mean, we were doing huge numbers on Amazon. So we needed a place to store the shoes. And that's why we started that Mid-City store. But it turned out people were knocking on the door to, to come in. And so the Mid-City community I, is like super supportive of local. We're very lucky in New Orleans because nice. a lot of people are very conscious of shopping local. 
And so the Mid-City community came out and support it. And we were like, well, wait, this is a, this is a shoe store. <laughs> like, it's a real retail storefront. Um, so we we got started from that angle. And then we started bringing more and more shoes into our other stores that were affiliated with the franchise. And um, so once we did that, they were actually going in the direction of streamlining to not have shoes and keep it really, really tight and focused. They wanted us to change our better business model. And we didn't, we, neither one of us were really in agreement. So we were over the years, we phased that out. And now all of our locations are completely Orleans shoe store, fully um, independently owned. And we, we no longer have an affiliation with anyone else. Was that, what are some of the lessons that y'all learned uh, before moving Orleans Shoe Company in 13, 14, or 15, whatever it was, that made you decide, like, we want to be on our own, independently owned, and this is our business model? Like, what 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 gave you that clarity of thought to go in that direction, if anything? I think any kind of business, you each each state is different. Each, each uh, city is different. So when somebody's trying to tell you how to run your business from a different state, it's, I think it's hard to... For them to understand your business you know there's no yep. each 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 uh, city is completely different and you can't say this model is going to work in in every, everywhere you go so uh you know that's why i feel like uh you know i can't tell somebody how to run their business that's in in denver you know what i'm saying because <laughs> right. it's a different market so i think each market's different you need to you know uh, be it's going to be treated differently otherwise it's not going to be as successful yeah, and I, it's probably true for any business, but I think specifically for retail, right, is like you have a better feel for what the customers in the different neighborhoods that y'all are located in New Orleans are looking for more than somebody who doesn't. Yeah, and different it. advertising. It's a different. There's so many different aspects of a business that there's no way, uh, you know, that they that somebody who's not from there can can understand, you know. And that's, you know, and that's a good uh, point. Like when I, we, I've tried to open a business uh, in Alabama and Mobile or in. Even like Baton Rouge, I've I tried opening the stores there, and it's I don't know the market, I don't know the customers, and it didn't work out for us, you know. Um, so I think you know, and being in the stores each day and being uh, seeing what's going on and, and understanding what you know, if you're not there, it's hard to run it, you know. And uh, it took some learning and uh, some mistakes to, to learn that, you know. And a lot of that After really her- comes back to like redefining your vision, you know, what kind of company you want it who you want to serve. And it seemed like that was a little different maybe than what the franchise people were doing. But once you kind of center in on that vision, it seems like that's kind of probably what propelled your growth after that. And for yeah, a, lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs, that's an important lesson. You know, get really crystal clear on what your vision is and what you want it to be. And then from there, everything becomes easy as far as what you need to do next. And all the stores being close to each other really makes a difference too, you know? Yeah, we went through a time after Hurricane Katrina where we felt like we really needed to diversify our locations. Um, we were scared, you know, New Orleans got wiped off the map for a few minutes there. And um, our business interruption insurance gave us a thousand dollars for our flooded store and all of our damages. And I wish we'd have known so we were kind of terrified <laughs> to go all in New Orleans. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, we should have called them. I've known you back then. Or, yeah, no kidding. Back then. <laughs> um, so we went into Mobile and Baton Rouge and we ended up really losing a lot because it's it's easy to throw away money on a 30 second spot, you know? So it was like a really, uh, it was a lot of learning in that we, we tend to learn by our mistakes more than, more than really learning through books. We should maybe work on that. When you pay for. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that, I do think, though, uh, that, that is something that resonates with me. We talk about that a lot. We've made a lot of mistakes, too, and expensive ones. But the, the key, right, is that I just read an email this morning from one of the coaching organizations I'm in. And it's about pivoting and learn. Uh, talk about that from the mistakes that y'all have made. You know, what have you learned from those and how has that helped you to succeed um, moving forward? Well, uh, the one thing that I, I've learned from is uh, knowing when to stop. Like I, I, that was probably my biggest mistake is learning you know, like, you know, when we opened those new stores and we had, you know, one in Slidell, one in Baton Rouge, when do you stop throwing money at it? You know, because I would, you know, it's something, it's your, you know, when you had a store for four or five years, you don't want to close it. So, um, yeah, it's like, you're, you know, it's, so it's like, you need closing a store is really difficult. Uh, but if you just keep dumping money in it, we, I really, that was my biggest mistake is to keep those stores open way too long. I mean, like, it just, you know, you always think oh, it's going to turn around, it's going to turn around. But, uh, you know, there's got to be a cutoff. <laughs> and, I, and I waited way too. I mean, I, we, were, you know, we were struggling for two or three years on some of those stores and just took us down into a, um, a hole that it took a long time to get out of. You know, and I think uh, so now I kind of I don't throw money at stuff that, you know, it is, you know, it, it just knowing when to quit was was one of my biggest uh it's funny you said that because like when I was talking about that email I got this morning from uh, the coach organization is Pilma Brad. I don't know which organization I'm talking about. The title of the email is the, and I remind myself of this line all the time. I'm constantly reminding myself the Kenny Rogers uh, quote, um, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Yeah. Yeah. It seems simple and explanatory and cliche, but it really is difficult sometimes when you mix all of our egos and not wanting to walk away. And so I try to remind myself that in business, I, also a lot of times with us, like the cases that you're bringing to trial, like, no, I'm always tell lawyers, I'm like, this is one where we need to fold them. Like, I don't know yeah. if he's going to like <laughs> this part of our case, or this is the one we need to hold them, but it does apply to business, right? It's easy to get oh, emotionally yeah. invested in something like that. Yeah. And it, it makes it much more difficult to let go of something. Uh, so yeah, getting back to like, you know, KPIs and key indicators of economics and finance and kind of make decisions based on numbers is what it usually saves us now that we've learned those mistakes. Can y'all tell us a little bit about Orlean Shoe Company now? You know, so you've been open for about eight or nine, 10 years. How many locations, where are they at? How many employees? What is your key, your business model and some of the key offerings to the New Orleans community? We transitioned our original location, which was at 3000 Severn over by Bromart. As we were expanding Orlean Shoes, we also expanded our space there. Now, we also have OrleansShoes.com, which is talk about the evolution of business. That has been huge. Um, we have a location in the French Quarter. We were on Bienville, but um, after Katrina, I mean, Hurricane, nope, COVID, oh, yeah. <laughs> COVID, okay. that disaster. Okay. We uh, shut that store and we recently were able to reopen um, in a great location on Charter in Toulouse. And then um, we are on at 3112 Magazine Street as well over by the Rum House. And um, what all, what's over there? That dog, the Rum House. Yeah. I think it's in our block. And, um, and Carrollton, the original Orleans shoe store is still uh, in Mid-City on uh, Carrollton in the Greenway. And, so we have four locations plus the warehouse. I noticed on your social media, you have a, a special breed of employees at some of the stores, uh, some of the dogs. <laughs> Tell us about that. How did they get started? It, it, it seems like an amazing thing to have the puppies in the store with you guys. We had a great uh, social media manager who is a dog rescue, uh, you know, bleeding heart. Like she is just, <laughs> if there is a sick chihuahua within 30 miles, she knows about it. She finds it. 
Um, so she really focused on that a lot when she was in the stores and working on our social media. So uh, it just became a really dog friendly environment. And we're happy to have have those those guests as well. I see a lot of them wandering around in the little Crocs. So maybe we need to get a shoe line. for dog <laughs> <laughs> See expansion. I've seen that before. That's yeah. Shoe shoes. I mean, dog shoes. Huh? <laughs> and then we do a good business online now. We, um when COVID happened, when the first two weeks of shutdown happened, basically uh, we had a website, but we hadn't focused a lot of energy on it. And Phil just went downstairs and like sat on his computer for two weeks, figuring out how to make it a better site, how to get more traction, how to make it more user-friendly, keep all of our inventory live and interfacing because it's a lot to do that between Amazon and an online store and five, you know, five locations. So before Ida, we really didn't have much website business. So uh, I remember after this, after the storm, I think two of my employees stayed around and they were very tech savvy and uh, helped out a lot. So we, uh, us three, three of us just basically put every shoe online, which takes, it takes some time to put a, you know, a whole shoe online. Cause it, you have to, the sizes and the widths and the, the description and, we had to enter all that ourselves and uh but we did it it took it took us about three months i'd say but we actually did it and it's it, quite an undertaking yeah it was but you know we didn't have anything else to do the stores were closed <laughs> we have disaster fatigue here but it was covid that you did that not ida oh, that was, okay yeah one after the other <laughs> the other look out past few years. How, gotta be ready for them huh? what percentage would y'all say if you know of y'all businesses now online as a result? it's only about 20 percent, but it is it draws people to the store. You know, you get information on there. So it, it not only selling online, you're getting customers that come into the stores from looking on the website and then they come in and try the shoes on, you know. And we have same day local delivery. That's not free delivery. I think everything else is free delivery. Yeah, we free shipping. Free locally, it gets to you the next day, no matter how we ship it. But um, there here is in New Orleans or around the area. We can get it to you in one day for free. Have y'all have any, like any special you know strategies that y'all have employed as far as like what y'all are curating as far as the type of shoes that y'all are putting in the stores? I saw some interesting videos. It was um, I'm probably gonna mispronounce it. Solovair boots that are made in. Oh Italy. yeah, that's interesting, right? Um, hey David, we actually picked up that line after the Saints game. Remember? Oh, really? Um, really? Yeah. Had those opportunities spawned these things. But tell us a little bit about that line and you know how y'all connected with them and you know how that's different than a lot of the stuff you see in just these traditional retail stores out there. Importing is new for us. We're learning to make those mistakes now, <laughs> but, um, didn't realize how much taxes cost them for <laughs> so. oh, wow. taxing. And then like, how do you, how you write your name, how you have, which numbers you use because they ask for like all of your identifiers. And then anyway, it gets complicated, but, um, that line specifically, we, that is the original Doc Martens factory that Solivare is produced out of because we have eternity in the shoe business. We sold docs in the 90s when they were, you know, the grunge scene was bringing them on and we sold them. And if you have those docs, you probably if you had those docs, you probably still have those docs. You yes. could still wear them. They were such high quality. And as Doc Martens grew and they changed their manufacturing and production, we started getting customers who were bringing them back after a year and I think that their production has improved since then. That was transition for them. I, you know, I don't want to criticize them, but this factory they stopped using, but it was an old shoemaking town in England. 
they were they used to be nothing but shoe factories like they were telling us how bit how much of the economy yeah. was shoe factories and it's still where docs does their very limited uk production in that in that community but solivare is the original factory that they used and they have some they have multiple generations working in this factory they like had people training their kids to do their jobs and they still do the original um what is that called uh fire welting i'm getting yeah. the name but they um they did this great factory um, factory tour for us, showed us all the leathers. We got to choose the leathers we wanted, um, how they cut them, everything. Now it took us, I guess, six months to get the product. Oh, yeah. So it's it a different, a you know, learning curve in there. But it's but... made in London. Uh, shoes are made in London. Really good quality. You can handmade. You can if you go on our website, you can see the videos of uh, them actually uh, making the shoes. Uh, it's very impressive. I mean, it's, I think thirty or forty different people touch the shoe to to do each little technique it's uh, handmade from what i could see from your videos yes. I mean, oh yeah they're, they're, it's all hand cut and all hand it's it's impre- the, the tour was really neat it's uh it was very and the videos don't do it justice really i mean because there's so many different there were so many different little stations that the shoe goes down the line and it was just it's just a, it's an old way of making shoes they don't do it that way anymore I mean, that you could go out there and connect with these people and then bring that type of product back to a local market and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to find unique shoes that you know you can't find anywhere else um uh, that uh, we just imported another brand called Softwaves that are uh, made in uh, from Italy. Um, you know, and, and again, trying to find unique shoes that look different, that are com- but still we are we're always trying to gear to comfort shoes. Everything that we have in the store is comfort based. You know, uh, so it's not you know. Hopefully, it, it'll be good for your feet and make you feel better. You know. And I believe we're the only American company importing Solivare. At least Correct. Yeah, we're the, we're, the, we're the only ones so far. Yeah, that's and, fascinating. Uh, hopefully, it'll stay like that. It's interesting you just brought that up, Phil, because one of the questions I was going to have. So, like, I have some Hoka's from y'all, and I'm actually wearing. I love this line that y'all have. The um, the shoes I'm wearing right now is the. Uh, how do you say it? the Oha? That's like a Hawaiian type brand. Oh, Oha. Yeah. Is it Oha? How do you, yeah, so how do y'all, like, some of that stuff now are, like, very popular. You know, a ton of people wear hokas now. They're so comfortable. But, like, walk us through just briefly, like, what is the process for investigating and finding those new types of lines that y'all are trying to differentiate yourselves and make sure that you have custom and unique products to offer uh, to the customers? Well, we buy a lot of inventory, a lot of different brands. And, that you know, so you might buy, you know, when we go to market, you might buy 10 new brands, and eight, eight of them are usually bad ones <laughs> so you you know you're just picking up a lot of shoes uh and then process of elimination. you're trying to hopefully one of them will hit you know we get a lot of requests from customers and we definitely pay attention to that we appreciate it when a customer comes to us and and tells us you know they're not finding what they're looking for but this is what they were looking for um but one of our big lines and it's what was one of our first lines phil and i were in las vegas at shoe market and we had kind of gotten our work done. We were like, let's let's go to, well, we had the kids with us too, and they were not happy. But we're like, let's go to the Grand Canyon. So we um, we went, I didn't have shoes. I was like, everything I had was for work. So we stopped in at a little shoe store there that was great and um, picked up. I was like, let me try these these sandals. Well, I picked them up, loved them. They're a line called um, Naot or Naot or Nayat, depending on who waits on you in the store. <laughs> but I believe their official pronunciation is Nayot. And um, 
They have been a fantastic line for us. We've had them now for 15 years, I would say. And it was just because I needed a shoe and I tried them on in the next market, you know, I guess six months later, we were like, where is this line? Let's go find them. They have been an amazing partner for us. You don't see companies like that. I mean, like they're just good people, you know, good. They care about you don't have uh, relationships like that anymore. And the, the companies are so big now, they don't care about small retailers, but this company is different. Um, there's a few of them that are like that, uh, that we have, but it's really hard to find a good partnership to where they, they, you know, like Linneo, they, they won't sell to even dealers around us just because they know they would hurt us, you know? So they're sacrificing their own profits for us, you know, and that you don't see that anymore, you know? And in addition, they, they saw that we had a good business with their products. So they invited us to a design meeting and sitting through the design meeting was just great because they were listening to the retailers saying like, you know what you, what we, what we needed is a wider footbed. And six months later, they come back to us with a wider footbed and that kind of reactive, like, you know, action is what we're looking for in our partners that we carry in our store. So if you buy that brand at this point, I think they cut on um, 10 different construction lasts. It might even be more because they're trying to get, you know, like you probably know you have a a running shoe that fits you. Maybe Hoka fits you and maybe, you know, New Balance doesn't. That's just because of the construction of those shoes. And so when we get a line that will build a whole, you know, a whole new line around our retailers uh, requests for, for a void in the product line, like that's just amazing. That's just, the best part relationship. Yeah, that's good. When I think it's it dovetails what y'all were just talking about, which is true for any business, being listen to your customers, listen to your clients, they're ultimately the boss. And so if you incorporate their feedback in, your business will be stronger, it'll be a better customer service experience, and then it ultimately is tying into your values at Orlean Shoe about the people you want to work with who have those same values, right? Definitely. Um, tell me a little bit, you mentioned a bit there, Phil, on competing with like dealers or whatever. And one of the real interesting questions that I was thinking about before the show and wanted to know from y'all is how difficult is it to deal with the 8,000 pound gorillas that y'all do deal with Nike, the Amazon, how do you compete in the marketplace against those type of, of big gorilla competitors as a, as a, you know, a local retail business, family owned retail? Well, with like with Amazon, we actually sell on Amazon, so that's how. You know, when we going back ten years ago, that really helped us a lot. Um, you know, we, we so you you might be buying something on Amazon. You know, you might buy a pair of uh, Naos on Amazon, but it's actually distributed from us. You don't even realize that. a lot of people don't realize that. You know, you do have some third parties on there uh, that's uh, that's selling shoes. And when we first started on Amazon, we had like New Balance on there, we had Olakai on there, but a lot of the companies now like Olakai and uh, even Hoka, they, they, a lot of the companies do not want to be on Amazon. So like Birkenstock, we had a Birkenstock on Amazon for probably seven or eight years. And, you know, that's, we're, we're selling a lot of shoes on there um, because they only had about 30 vendors on Amazon that were approved from Birkenstock. But now you can see it's changing. You know, the reason why like Birkenstock got off of Amazon though, just is because they were people coming on there with fake Birkenstocks and they couldn't stop it. So now if you if you're buying a, a you know some of these name brands on Amazon it it most likely is not really Birkenstocks um because there's no no one authorized to sell some of these brands on Amazon. So you know as the time's been going through uh going on you're getting let we're we're getting less and less vendors that let us on there 
So Amazon's definitely declined by probably 80%, but it did help us for a long time now. Um, yeah, but now we're trying to build our own website up, which is better because now we don't have to pay 15% to Amazon. Yeah. So right. we're doing online sales. It's just not through Amazon, you know, and we're still doing Amazon, but it's only about, you know, a little bit compared to what it was. Getting yeah. into e-commerce has been a con, I mean, a constantly moving target. So, you know, originally everybody sold on Amazon. And if you got a good distributor, a manufacturer was happy with that. Well, then it changed. And then you had um, too many people selling, then they couldn't control pricing. Yeah, And, you know, you can't, it, it just gets really, really complicated with online commerce. And so Amazon has gotten so big that now more of our manufacturers have chosen to not do business that way. They do direct sell. And so we actually, you know, oddly are in competition with our suppliers and manufacturers in some cases, because competition has changed. You know, when we were growing up, you might have four shoe stores in the community that all carried the same shoe. Well, now the the manufacturer will limit that to one brick and mortar retail vendor, but now you're in competition with thousands, tens of thousands of sellers online. So it's just, right. it's constant change. But I would say that that's the number one um, lesson is to be prepared to change. I was a manufacturer's rep in a different industry and my customers who got so bogged down in Amazon, 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 and complaining about the manufacturers, most of them haven't stayed in business. And I brought that home to our business and said, you know what, you're not beating them. So let's join them. Let's figure out what we can do. And it did help for a while. Um, because it allowed us to negotiate for buying higher quantities and things. But um, they do take so much of your markup that like, I would say our, our Amazon sales, we are probably lucky at this point if they pay our Amazon director manager salary, <laughs> you know, it, but, but we've picked it up elsewhere. We've picked it up with our own, with our own website and, and you know, with an increase in brick and mortar uh, transactions. So it's just a constant change. Yeah, I think it's a key uh, key business lesson. Um, and you know, for for us, there's been different things. For example, like before COVID hit, we'd have we'd have clients who actually come in the office. Now they everybody wants to do everything electronically and quickly and digitally, and that really is Zoom. A, Zoom is a really rare thing now, and that's okay. Like it, part of it, right? I, I I enjoy it. It's kind of like the game. It's like the world is evolving and changing around you as a business. You have to know how to pivot and quickly change course based upon what your clients want, what your customers want. I mean, from everything that I've heard from y'all talking about today, from, you know, changing into a different line back in 2001 or two, then Katrina and then COVID and then Ida, I mean, you've been constantly doing that. And I think that kind of speaks to your, your abilities as business operators that y'all have been able to pivot at those big fulcrum points. But I was well, we even have a website that's um, orleanshoes.eth just because we're on the Ethereum exchange because we feel like maybe we need to be. We don't know, but we have to look forward. So <laughs> be ready for it. Can y'all tell us, tell our listeners, please, each of you, maybe one or two lessons each that y'all have learned along the way in your journey to getting Orlean Shoe Company to where it is today that you would want somebody, another entrepreneur to have the benefit of, or maybe just one or two things that stick with you to this day each. Well, I think the, you know, the, the main thing is taking care of the customers, um, you know, and trying to really help people. You know, uh, if you're just doing it for to make money, it's 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 not going to work out. You know, you have to really want to help people and, and 
and listen to your customers and and try to to really be passionate about it and and real. And for me, I see it as um, I think that taking care of our employees as best that we can, and there's certainly always room for improvement. But um, that's that's what makes me feel good at the end of the day is when I have employees who are able to 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 improve their own lives through their hard work. And we really have good employees too. I mean, we have really do. We dozens do. of employees that have helped us so much. Uh, just really impressive. I love to get a system in place and just run that system for like 20 years. Nothing changes ever. I hate all the changes. That would be very good at like, okay. One time he did two new POS systems in less than a year. You know how much like that is to put a point of sale system in place with your inventory. And he was like, Oh, we tried it three months. It didn't work. Let's do it again. I'm like, no, one point of sale system for eternity, <laughs> but it really benefits us. Got to change. It's benefited us tremendously that he's willing to change and and always entertain something new. Yeah, and y'all are both integral and key to operating the company from my external observation. Do you think that y'all really, I mean, for co-operators, I mean, are there some traits that each of you have that are strengths and weaknesses that y'all have found has been has been good that y'all have worked well together and complemented each other's weaknesses? Definitely. I think sometimes I jump into stuff just like she's saying too quickly um, and she kind of slows me down, but you know, it's, it, sometimes it could be a good thing. Sometimes it could be a bad thing, but uh, it, it works out for us. You know, we're exact opposites. So. <laughs> the, this business was really, you know, his to operate. I have my, I had my feedback and my input for a long time, but I was, raising kids and and dealing with that. And that was the priority. And, you know, only one thing can be the top priority. So for me, for a lot of those early years, that's how it was. I am a lot more involved now. Um, we are always playing catch up. So, uh, Phil is good at being patient about that and, um, understanding that I'm learning as I go, but she's doing mostly the, um, you know, books and taxes now. So it's uh, been a good thing because now we're really understanding the business more as far as, you know, trying to streamline it. Why we need your help, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> One phone call away from you guys. <laughs> well, and, and that, that's a good point too. And I think uh, probably something maybe it sounds like y'all have been really diving into over the last couple of years, understanding the numbers and, th and that aspect of the business. And I think for a lot of small businesses, uh, especially me, when I first started my law firm, I didn't really have the, the amount of employees and the type of talented people around who could prepare that stuff for me and present data to me so that I could make decisions based on data. Because some of it, right, even for y'all, is you're making a decision on what you provide and what you carry, but you're also looking at what is contributing to our revenue and profit. Because you have to profit to grow the business and sustain yeah. it, right? Yeah, you got to pay the bills. And uh, one thing we've we've always done is always put the money back into the business and we kind of didn't pay ourselves, which I know they say not to do, but uh, we, but now we're getting so in it, And before I could run the business by just looking at, you know, like I could just look at the store and see, you know, what's selling, what's not selling. I could look visually. Now we're so big um, and we're doing so much volume. It's, I can't do that anymore. So I'm not, I'm not as, uh, you know, we need to come up with different thing, different systems. And that's what Renee has been doing as far as like, uh, seeing the numbers more and stuff because i really never i mean i've really never looked at numbers i can always say hey you know i can feel if we're doing good or not you know uh, but now it's it's a little more it's a little more complicated you you know we have five you know really five stores now and 
you know, way more volume and it's just a little way harder to, to, uh, to, to reel that in, you know, yeah, as you scale, your instincts become less attuned to what's going yeah. on. You need more in the way of data to make those decisions. It's yeah, a difficult exactly. thing. It's a growing process. It is. And we we have, you know, New Orleans is one city and we're not a huge city, but every store has a different personality. And part of that is who runs it. But part of it is, you know, in the French quarter, conventions in town, like you don't even, there's so many variables. So it, um, we really rely a lot on our managers and the feedback they give us too. And we finally recently put an operations manager in place because it's, it's, there's so many different directions things are coming from. And uh, she's amazing. I think she works 24 hours a day, I'm pretty sure. And I mean, she'll send like reports at 3 a.m. and like, Nicole, go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, we're we we're very, very fortunate to have the, the workforce we have on our team. Yeah, and that's interesting too, because you have a different aspect to your business, which is difficult as y'all scale and get bigger, is understanding the customer base at each location is different, right? I mean, y'all, I'm thinking in my head about your customer base in the French Quarter versus Magazine versus Mid City. Probably completely different, not knowing y'all. Yeah, Yeah, within the same. And Metairie is its own animal. Metairie is like Metairie is entirely different than all of all of the other stores. Like all three of them combined, I guess. Yeah, I know. Um, this has been a really fascinating discussion. I was hoping before we close the show that y'all could tell us maybe kind of one or two things that y'all think are unique about Orleans Shoe Company that have contributed to its success and and, and kind of make it unique in such a tough industry that y'all are in, competing against bigger people dependent upon retail and foot traffic customers. Um, can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? Well, first of all, our, our staff is trained well, which is, you know, like Renee was saying, where our staff is is you know, we train them and we have people that have been there for, you know, 10, 15 years. And uh, so, you know, when we get a new employee, they're they're getting trained by somebody who has so much experience. And, you know, again, it, it could take a year or two really for someone to, I mean, I know it sounds like a really uh, simple thing, but fitting somebody in a shoe is uh, is way more complicated than, you, than anyone can think. Because, you, you know, you have to, you know, you've got to talk to the customer, ask them questions, get to know who they are, what kind of activities they do. And then, you know, measure their feet. And then, you know, sometimes a customer is coming in for a shoe that might that might not be good for them. And we have to try to say, hey, that's not, you know, that's not what you really need. Right. Um, so, you know, I think what we do differently is we can help the customers pick out the correct shoe for them uh, and make them, you know, not waste their money uh, and um, and feel more comfortable. You know, and, so, and we always try to just everything is geared to comfort. We don't we don't carry high heel shoes. We don't carry shoes that are bad for your feet. Um, we, you know, we try to get the ones that are, uh, you know, going to help. No stilettos. <laughs> yeah, no, no <laughs> real high. Carry a practical shoe inches. for a wedding. You know, we we try and we um, practical shoes. Yeah. If Bill buys his stilettos elsewhere. I don't yeah. Know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go to the quarter for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think really there is not a lot of opportunity to truly shop local anymore, like like there used to be, especially in. Um, in the shoe business, we carry a lot of athletic shoes and there are, you know, more athletic geared businesses, a couple of small businesses around. But as far as having our selection, there's no one else who who touches that. Yeah, and our money, you know, we live in New Orleans, we eat in, in independently owned restaurants, we we stay, you know, where we shop with our customers as much as we can. 
we um, support, you know, in the past two weeks, I've, I've donated to the pro bono project. I've donated to a couple of local schools. Um, I am working my behind off getting the to a toy distribution ready that we do at Xavier through the Times Picking Doll and Toy Fund. We support that financially. I give every kid pencils so that they can go back to school in January with pencils because that came to our attention that by mid-year, a lot of kids have, or they've run out of school supplies in Orleans Parish. And, you know, we can't ask kids to do their job if we don't, if we don't give them the tools to do it. And I really try hard to make sure that we are supporting our community. We sponsor a pageant for um, special needs girls, you know, children um, in Metairie every year, because one of our delivery people, um, he always had a boy who would follow him around for deliveries and nobody said anything to us. We didn't know anything for years. It was like, well, this is odd. And then he came in one day and he said he he had special needs and he asked if he could go on his route with him. And, and so he let him because he had a daughter who had special needs and it it made him relate to this child and that he his daughter wanted to be a beauty queen. And so they started this pageant and now it's grown for 10 years and we've been lucky enough to support that. We support Raphael Village uptown. Um, the New Orleans Polo Club, because our daughter's boyfriend plays there. <laughs> you know, we support the community and really be a part of that. And that's and, what's good about New Orleans. There's so much going on always. It's, it's and, you know, it's always something going on. And I've been on the flip side. Of, we, we support Bayou Boogaloo. I've been on the flip side of that, um, where I'm asking corporations to make donations. And nobody opens those those purse strings very easily. <laughs> right. So, you know, local businesses support the community in a way that that our competitors really don't. Dillard's doesn't do that. You know, Dick's Sporting Goods probably isn't going to do that. And I think that that ultimately, when you boil it down, just from my perspective, is first off, it's admirable every, everything that y'all do in the community and what you're doing, but you're really building relationships. And business is just about relationships. It's all it is, relationships internally with your team members that work for the business and are helping build the business and its relationships externally with your customers and the people in your community. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you all so much for coming on. This has been a fascinating discussion, having getting to know y'all and become close friends with y'all. It was exciting for me to learn more about y'all business. Um, it's a fantastic business. I love how involved you are in the community. I shop there. Um, and I love all the products that y'all carry. Um, and so everybody, if you are in new Orleans, around new Orleans, visiting new Orleans and thinking about, Go and get some new comfort and or dress shoes. Check out Orleans Shoe Company, any of the locations. We have Metairie, French Quarter, Mid-City, and Magazine Street. Magazine, yeah. And the website is, online. what is yes. the website? Online, we got e-commerce, Orleansshoe.company. What is it? Shoes, Orleansshoes.com. Is that right? That's yeah. You'll find it either way. Just type it in. <laughs> but I would encourage people to go into the stores. I mean, y'all have really opened my eyes as far as kind of what goes into picking a good quality pair of shoes. Yeah, and then you know, measuring your foot. It's always better to go in and yeah, try right. the shoes on. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if Brad and I were having that discussion this morning, it's like you can buy a lot of stuff online, but shoes is kind of like one of those things that you really want to buy a shoe online. It's kind of nice yeah. to feel it, feel how it fits to your foot. So Orleansshoes.com, Phil and Renee. Pedascalzo, thank y'all so much for being on Overrule. Thank you, David. Really fascinating. Thanks Appreciate so much for having us. All right. Thank <laughs> y'all. Take care. Thanks everybody for listening. This brand has been another fascinating episode and good conversation with Phil and Renee about Orleans Shoe Company. Thanks to all our listeners for listening. This has been the Overruled Podcast brought to you by the Scott Vicknair Law Firm. We'll see y'all next time. Take care. Scott Vicknair, injury attorneys, we fight for the win.
information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.